Welcome to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. Every Nation is a Bible-believing, multi-ethnic, non-denominational church hoping to transform the world one life at a time. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hey everyone, PA here, Pastor Adam Bird, and I'm so pumped that you would choose to tune in to our Every Nation Church New Jersey channel. And I want to tell you this, man, God has a word for you this morning. So if you've been tracking with us, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and and uh, we're going to actually close out the Gospel of John today. It will be in John chapter 21. But but before we do, uh, a little story to kind of illustrate it, and I'm going to apologize uh, beforehand for this story. Okay, <laughs> uh, so my wife. And I, uh, you know, we were uh, just uh, young uh, kids in our early 20s, and we just had our first child, uh, my my uh, my daughter uh, Cassandra, and and uh, we were actually my wife's from uh, North Bay, Ontario, up in uh, Canada. So I stole the Canadian gal, and we were gonna uh, drive up our little crappy Honda Civic hatchback. It was a stick shift with no radio, <laughs> and so we, we were we were driving up all the way to North Bay, Ontario, and as we were driving, you know. We put my, my baby girl is, is in the back seat and she's buckled in in her car seat and you know we, we were cruising and she would sleep much much of the way and but when we crossed the border into Canada my wife immediately says we're stopping at Tim Hortons and if you don't know what Tim Hortons is shame on you man it's this it's this coffee donut place and uh, Tim Horton donuts are to die for and my wife she's got a real thing for maple donuts Tim Horton maple donuts and so we, we get like a half dozen of those things and, and my, my, my little infant daughter she's back in the back seat and so we rip off a piece of maple donut for her and she's a little foodie right she was having at it and eating and eating and it was great because it occupied her for hours uh, on the trip and uh, but then she started getting a little fidgety antsy crying a little bit and so we knew we had to pull over to a rest stop and we, we pulled over and when I looked at my daughter it looked like a food grenade went off in her car seat. It was like, man, she had maple donut like all over the place. And I'm like, good Lord, little girl. And so, you know, I, I moved the, the front seat out of the way and I, I scooped my baby girl out of her car, car seat. I actually put her uh, on top of the roof as I was hanging on to her. And I noticed I'd got some of uh, the maple donut that was on her. It got on my arm and, and I moved in uh, to lick it. And then a, a whiff of something hit me. Are you tracking with me? That's not maple donut. And so my, my daughter had an accident in the car and there was this explosion. I'm just like, oh, get this baby away from me, man. Get this baby away from me. I was like, oh. And uh, But now, if you can contrast that, I'm trying to get this kid away from me. And uh, what happened? My wife, she grabbed a blanket. She somehow swaddled our infant child. She began to hold and soothe her and then slowly begin to clean my daughter off and so uh, I say all that to say this hey man um, I want you to know this that Jesus is much more like my wife Susan uh, than like me see when, when we make a, a mess of our life uh, what happens man Jesus is not repulsed in pushing us away but rather he wants to draw us into himself uh, and make us clean see my, my, my daughter didn't want to be all dirty uh, but she couldn't clean herself off she needed somebody else to clean her and that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ so uh, uh, we're gonna be in John chapter 21 but but here's what's so odd about John 21 
the book feels like it should end in John chapter 20. And so I'll read for you. Uh, John 20 ends like this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Credits roll, right? The, the movie should be over with. But uh, uh, if you remember what, what the Avengers franchise has done for us, it's trained us as moviegoers that you wait till after the credits because there might be a hidden scene, another scene at the end. And this is what happens in John chapter 21. Because um, uh, there's some loose ends that John chapter 21 is going to tie up. So for example, we know uh, that Judas betrayed Jesus, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And then in guilt and shame, he went and he, and he hung himself. He took his own life, feeling the weight of guilt and shame. But do you know what? You know, someone else uh, betrayed Jesus on that evening. And it was our man, Peter. That, that Peter, as he was warming himself beside a charcoal fire, and Jesus was arrested and walking through the courtyard, uh, Peter vehemently denied Jesus three times. It says the last time he was cursing, I do not know him. And what happens? As Peter denies Jesus, he looks up, and the scriptures say that Jesus locks eyes with him. Uh, so if you can imagine, I don't know how you recover from that scene. In that moment and the scripture just says that Peter he ran off into the night and we don't know what happened to him it were it not for John chapter 21 and so what what I want to ask you this morning what do you do man under the weight of the guilt sin and shame man what do you do you allow that to crush you uh, and bury you like it did Judas or, man, are you going to be like Peter? And so uh, let's uh, go on. We're going to be in John 21. I'm going to read verses 2 to 19. Let me just say ahead of time, this is a long section of scripture, so I need you to stay in and dial in with me. Uh, John 21, starting in verse 2, it says, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples uh, were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Just FYI, some theologians believe that he's basically saying, hey, this disciple thing's not working out. I'm going to go back to just being a fisherman. Uh, he goes on and says, then the, the, uh, they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Which just sounds like an odd thing to say. And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That should sound familiar to many of you. Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So 
So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Uh, get this a little side note. Uh, some theologians, they actually believe that at this time, there was only 153 species of fish, and yet they were all caught in this net. It's communicating this idea, man, that Jesus has come for all nations, tribes, and tongue. Back to our text. And although there were so many, uh, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, and when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And so uh, let, let's kind of break down this text a little bit and some things I want to highlight. And uh, But I'll begin with this question. Uh, have you ever been surprised by your sin? Like had those moments in your life where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. How, how could I ever do it? Like, like some of the things that you never thought we could be capable of and yet we would do it. Like I have this one example, like uh, I, my, my wife and I were driving home from Manhattan and we were in Lincoln Tunnel traffic and it's a nightmare and for the record, man, when I'm in heavy traffic or behind the wheel, it's not the most holy version of myself, okay? Uh, get off me, man. And so uh, I'm in this traffic jam and it's just back and forth, stop and go traffic and, and there's a guy that, that wanted to like cut in for me, in front of me and it, and it wasn't his turn to go, right? And I was like, hey man, no way. And so, so I just kind of pulled up and, and the guy got alongside me, he drove by me, and he told me I was number one, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> he gave me the bird. Uh, and then, but, but I got caught at the light, and he got through the light, and so he's one light ahead of me. But my light changed, and by the grace of God, I got to pull right up against him again. And so I put the car in park, got out of the car, went over to his car, I knocked on his windshield, and I said, you, get out of the car now. <laughs> he was like, no, 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 I don't want to do that, right? And, and so, and then it hit me, hey, dum-dum, you're a pastor. <laughs> You have just set yourself up for a lose-lose situation. Uh, scenario number one, he gets out of the car and beats you up, right? That's not good. Or number two, he gets out of the car and I beat him up, uh, which is not good because I'm a pastor and pastors aren't supposed to beat dudes up, okay? And so uh, it was a lose-lose situation. And I'm like, what in the world are you doing, you know? And so we have these moments where um, but we'd be surprised of what we're capable of. And, uh, and so this is Peter. 
If you remember Peter during the Passover meal, like he's just so oblivious uh, to to really what he is capable of as as a sinful human being. And and basically, Jesus says, all of you are going to abandon me. uh, And Peter, uh, you're going to deny me three times. He's like, Lord, I would never deny you. I will die for you. He says, Peter, before the rooster crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. For the record, three, it's the, it's the number of completion. In other words, you're going to completely deny that you ever knew me. And so um, what do we do with this, man? And so so let me share this. Uh, so Bob Goff, is a, he, he's an attorney. He's a best-selling author. He's like basically does everything, this guy. And so in one of his books, he actually tells the story of um, um, prior to the birth of his, of his firstborn daughter, uh, he actually, Bob wrote a note put it in a mason jar, went into his backyard, and buried that jar in the ground and covered it over. And so uh, fast forward 16 years later, uh, his daughter is driving in the family car. His daughter uh, crashes the car, demos and destroys the car. And so she comes home. She's got to tell her daddy. And so she tells uh, Bob Goff, Dad, I'm so sorry I, I wrecked the car. To which he gave her a shovel and a map to go into the backyard. And she's thinking, am I digging my burial ground or what? You know, she goes out and she finds the location uh, right where he said to dig. It was where the mason jar was. She digs up the mason jar, opens up the jar, pulls out the note. As she opens it, she says this. It says, honey, I want you to know that I love you and it's okay that you wrecked the car. Like, like it was 16 years prior, he had already done that. It was like, it was like he knew she was going to sin. And guess what? Jesus knows uh, all our sins, past, present, and future. And like, like Peter may have been surprised by his sin, but Jesus wasn't. He predicted that he was going to deny him uh, just hours before he did it. And so um, here, here's what we, we, what I want to see, uh, show us is this, is that, man, isn't it odd that despite the fact, I think we know that God sees all knows oh, he knows when we sin against him. Yet why is it that through guilt and shame, we feel like we need to run from him for a season? Why is that? Like, like that really should let you know that th- there's a spiritual battle going on. It's like our, our first father, uh, father and mother, Adam and Eve. You remember what happened when they sinned against God? What was their first response? Go run and hide. And so um, um, uh, what is that? Man, I tell you what it is. It's because you have an enemy. His name is Satan, Lucifer, the devil. And he wants nothing more. He wants to separate and then to annihilate. See, that's what all apex predators do. They want to separate and then they will annihilate. And and Satan wants nothing more to keep you separate and distant from God so then he could take you out. He did it to Judas and now he's attempting to do it to Peter. And I don't know if you caught in our text uh, an odd word. It it used this word that Jesus had made a charcoal fire. And so this is a a unique word in the scriptures. There's uh, some 364 times in your Bible you'll see the word fire, 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 fire. But but only this word for fire uh, is only used twice. One in John 18 and one in John 21. 
which we read today. And in John 18, that was when Peter was warming himself around a charcoal fire. And Jesus was arrested. And as he was, it was going from, from false uh, trial to false trial, as he was going through the courtyard, this is when Peter denied three times that he knew Jesus. Denied it to a little girl, uh, even at times cursing. And the, the last time when he says, I do not know him, the rooster crows and he locks eyes with Jesus across the courtyard. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. There, you are going to have numerous charcoal fire moments in your life. And what are you going to do? Like, like I promise you, there's going to be moments when, man, you're, you're warming yourself around a charcoal fire and you're going to have a decision to make. Uh, am, I, am I going to agree uh, with what a sinful, broken, broken world says is right and wrong? Or am I going to agree with Jesus? That's a charcoal fire moment, man. Uh, I know this. There's going to be moments that you're drawn, the lust of your flesh is drawn to things that God calls sinful and wicked. And you have that's a charcoal fire moment. What are you going to do in that moment? Uh, uh, there's going to be moments too where, where man, you know, be, being the Jesus guy is not cool, right? But you got to decide, do I want to be cool or do I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? See the charcoal fire things. I know I experienced my, my charcoal fire moment where, man, I had to make a decision. I was 18 years old and I was, it was my rookie season in the NHL, the National Hockey League. And uh, my team was, was traveling, uh, flying to Minnesota. And, and coach actually told me, he says, I, I want you to, uh, to see you in my hotel room uh, when we get to the hotel. That's never good. And so I'm, I'm all nervous what coach can say. And so I went and saw coach in his, in, in his hotel room. And he said this. He says, Adam, um, I noticed you're reading your Bible all the time on the plane flights. He goes, I don't want you reading the Bible. He says, you're alienating yourself from your, your teammates. Can we agree? That's a charcoal fire moment. Man, what am I going to do in that instance? And so um, uh, uh, Peter had his charcoal fire moment and he failed miserably. And here's what I need you to know, man, would he, would he follow in the steps of Judas, run away in guilt and shame and eventually let guilt and shame take him out? Or would something else happen? And I want to appeal to Peter, man. I'm like, bro, hang in there, hang in there, man. God's got a destiny and a purpose for your life. Like if you know Peter's story, man, just a few uh, days later, what's going to happen? He's going to, Peter's going to preach the greatest message uh, on the day of Pentecost. 3000 people are going to give their life uh, to the Lord. How about this? That man, Peter's going to write uh, two books of the Bible, first and second Peter, man. Peter, hang in there. That, that Peter is going to raise a little girl named Tabitha from the dead. How about this? Man, Peter is going to make the first Gentile convert. Bro, hang in there. Don't give up. And so if you remember uh, the, the miracle catch a fish, that it says that they caught 153 fish, uh, that should sound eerily familiar to you. Do you know that that was Peter's miracle? That was Peter's miracle in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus calls him to himself. You remember the, the scene in Luke 5 where uh, Peter had been fishing all night and he'd caught nothing. And so, but Jesus says, hey, uh, what you need to do is push out a little further and throw your net on the other side. And so Peter does it. And what happens? Man, a miracle catch of fish. It was so great that it says the nets were ripping and the boats were sinking. And, and upon the, seeing this miracle, Peter ran, threw himself at the feet of Jesus. And he said, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. 
And Jesus is like, I know you're a sinful man, but I'm going to use you anyways. And he says, moving forward, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. It, it was Peter's calling, his destiny. And I want to tell you this, man, you have a purpose and a destiny. So, I mean, I, I couldn't wait to share this story with you. You know, uh, just recently I was at a pastor's conference and just hundreds of pastors from around the world. And, and, and as I'm walking from the uh, one meeting to the next, uh, this this one man, he was dressed up. He looked like a, like a shogun samurai master, and like just a long beard, gray beard. And, and this man, he walks up to me. And he says, he says, you, you're the man in my dream. God gave me a vision. And he, he says, stay here. And he went and he grabs and he hands me this massive samurai sword. And he says, you're the man. God says, I'm to give this sword to the man who, and you have a purpose and a destiny on your life. Pretty amazing story, right? And actually, it would be pretty cool, but that didn't really happen. Okay, <laughs> the samurai thing and all that. But what a cool story that would be, right? I just, I just kind of made that up. Uh, but, but here's what I, I will say: <laughs> what is true is this, man. Whether it's an old shogun warrior telling you you have a purpose and a destiny, uh, or if we find it in Ephesians chapter two, verse ten, does it make it any different? Man, God says this: for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you catch that? Like, like God says this, he says, man, you're his workmanship. That's the word poema. It's where we get the word poetry. Do you know, you are unique wired and made by God. Um, do you know, for you to be fully you, so uh, we have, uh, uh, what is it, f- uh, 46 chromosomes that make up our DNA. You get 23 from mom, 23 from dad. Do you know the odds in you getting these 23 from your mother uh, are one in 10 million? Same with your dad, one in 10 million. You combine those things and the odds of you being you are one in 100 trillion. Like you are a miracle, man. And God was in all of it, making you uniquely you that you might fulfill the purposes of God you're his workmanship created for good works like like each and every day when you wake up in the morning you should be God God I'm prepared to walk in the good things that you set before me you have a purpose and a destiny and so so Peter had had so much at stake and so what was he gonna do uh, with, with this guilt this godly sorrow that he felt in his heart would he run from God or to him uh, it was the first one he, he ran back to fishing he says I'm gonna go back to fishing and, and I, I don't know how you handle I mean godly sorrow or, or or when our conscience is arrested what do you do Man, do, do you busy yourself like Peter? Like Peter's like, I'm just going to dive uh, into work, right? Or, man, it's so easy now to just turn up the noise in our life that we can drown out the conviction and the resting of the Holy Spirit. And, and man, you just pour yourself into Netflix and whatever social media thing you're into. And, and we can drown out that, that thing for a while. But eventually, man, you're going to have to come up for air. And I promise you, the moment you come up for air and there's silence, I promise you that the devil, he's going to be coming, coming with roosters crowing, charcoal fire moments to remind you of how far, far you've fallen short from God. And he wants to, uh, once again, separate and annihilate. In fact, if, if you remembered, uh, man, uh, the Lion King. Whether you've seen the cartoon, the Broadway play, or, or the, the movie, right? And, and we remember the scene where Mufasa's dead and, and, and little Simba is just sitting there, you know, in tears. And what does Scar say? 
what have you done? He says, run, run away, run far away. And then what does he say? Kill him. So, and that is the enemy's ploy. He wants to separate you from God. Separate and then annihilate. So uh, a question for you, and I wonder if you can do this. Like, can, do you remember the first time you ever tasted grace? I, I can remember, you know, as a, as a young boy, I, you know, I'm guessing I was probably like nine or 10 years old and uh, I was a pyro as a little kid. Any other pyros out there? Like, man, I was just fascinated by fire, fire, fire. Somehow as a little nine or 10 year old kid, man, I, I found a book of matches and I'm playing with these matches uh, at, my, at my friend's uh, uh, house, outside of his house. And, and as I'm playing with this fire, uh, the man from across the street, this massive man, like I just saw terror in his eyes. He grabbed me from behind and he started shaking me. He says, what are you doing? You're trying to burn this house down. He's, and this is back in the day man, where you could just beat other people's kids. And he's dragging me off. But my friend, uh, Don and Dan, their daddy was a man by the name of Mr. Crawford, an older gentleman, but a mountain of a man. And he, he stopped the guy from shaking me. And he says, Vaughn, he says, uh, I know that young man. He says, you leave him with me. And so, so he left. Mr. Crawford took me into his home and sat me on his couch and I just had one of those have you ever had those cries where you like can't breathe <gasps> right and so I had that thing going on and he settled me down and then he said do you know what you did was wrong and I said yes sir I'm sorry and and, and forgive me and, and that type of stuff and he says come here and he gave me a hug and he says now go on home man and I will never forget that as long as I live you know those moments man where you, where you know you deserve a spanking and you get a hug, like there's something transformative about that. It, it, it changes you, man. The grace of God. Do you know uh, Martin Luther, uh, the great Protestant reformer? So not Dr. King, but Dr. King was actually named after the Protestant reformer Martin Luther. And Luther actually his story story goes like this: He was he was actually going off to become a, a lawyer. He was going to law school, and as he's he's walking outdoors, he got caught in this dramatic storm. Lightning strikes everywhere, and and Luther he cut a deal with God in that moment. He says, God, if you get me out of this. I'll become a monk. And sure enough, God got him out of it. And so he was true to his word and he uh, entered into the monastery and became a monk. And he excelled uh, at his monkery. In fact, he says this of himself, if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I, right? And so, so if you know anything about Luther's life, he had this profound sense of sin and how he falls short of the perfection and the glory of God. And so he would spend long hours in confession and he practiced what was just known as penance. So penance is where you try to buy back uh, uh, your, and make up for your sinfulness. And so what he would do, he would, he would punish himself. So he would walk up and down staircases on his knees until they were bloodied. Or he would stand out knee deep in, in the freezing cold snow barefoot all these things trying to punish himself as to somehow make up for his sin um, and, and listen I, I see people still try to do penance with God hey I know I've done wrong and so maybe I'll just give a little more, more money to the church or maybe I'll start a Bible study do the, that and that but you can't barter with God and so so Luther was exhausted but here's what he didn't know while he was a monk, he didn't understand the gospel. 
until Luther started studying the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, this revolutionized uh, Martin Luther, and it led to the Protestant Reformation. Verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so, did, did you catch that? Like, like finally, Luther understood the gospel. Man, the, the gospel isn't about what we do. It's about what's been done for us at the cross of Jesus Christ. Like, we can't save ourselves, but by faith, we believe that Jesus has saved us and rescued us through the death, burial, and resurrection uh, uh, of, of his life. And so, uh, do you know that the, the devil, he would, he would come to Luther to try and pile on sin and shame, right? Remember, he, he wants to separate and then annihilate. And so, but Luther, now he knew the gospel. And now he could gospel himself and do battle with, with the devil. And so when the devil would whisper uh, to Luther, uh, man, you've done this, and you've done this, and you've done this, Luther would answer back audibly to the devil. He says, devil, I've done far worse than you just said. I've also done this, and done this, and done this. And then he would further on, and he would go, and how powerful is the cross, man, that Jesus' blood would, would wipe away all that sin. How ferocious is the love of God that he would still love a wretch like me. And did you see what would happen? Man, what should be, uh, man, just a pile of guilt and shame, it was reversed. And what? It turned out into praise and worship for the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's unbelievably powerful, man, when you understand the gospel and the grace of God. And so, listen, there's been times personally in my own life like, like, listen, I may be a pastor, but I wasn't always a pastor. And man, I have a little bit of, there's a little bit of garbage in my past. And there's moments, man, when the devil will try and remind me of those things and they'll bubble up in my heart. I'll feel guilt and shame start to set in. And then I got to remind myself of the gospel. I need to gospel myself. Man, thank you, Jesus, that you paid that sin 2,000 years ago. Lord, that you love me uh, so much that you give me the opportunity man, to repent and be near to you. And so, uh, Jesus, man, when we when we have these maple donut moments in our life, he, he doesn't uh, it doesn't draw him away from us. It, it actually draws him to us, right? And so, um, I love this in our text we read in John 21. That, did you notice that Jesus, he reenacted the crime scene? Like, like when Peter uh, comes to the shore, what's waiting for him? A charcoal fire, right? That was where the, what the, the, when he denied Jesus three times, he's reenacting the scene. And do you know that, that smell? That smell is, it is the, the most powerful sense that's tied to memory. So you can imagine all this stuff that's triggering off uh, in Peter. And then it says that Jesus around the charcoal fire is handing out bread. Do you know the last time that Jesus was passing bread uh, uh, to Peter was at the Passover meal when Jesus told him, you're going to deny me three times. And here's like, it doesn't say it in the text, but it does say it's morning. And here's what I promise you. There's roosters blowing off. And when the rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times. All these things triggering off in Peter's head. Why would Jesus do this? 
Like, is he trying to rub Peter's nose in it or do like many of us do? Hey, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget, right? Uh, Jesus is not doing that. Here's what, what Jesus is doing. It's listen, you know, the grace of God is free, but it costs Jesus everything. It, this is to avoid what, what I just call greasy grace. Like, like you know, uh, when, when we sin, it's not just transactional, it's relational. Like it's not just a breaking of rules, it's a breaking of the heart of God. And so uh, let me illustrate it to you this way. We see it clearly in the scriptures, like like David. If you remember uh, David, uh, he was on his rooftop and he was watching a woman by the name of Bathsheba bathe. Not a good idea. And he actually asked his servants, he's like, who is that woman? And the servant actually told him, that's Eliab's daughter and Uriah's wife. Like, like, could you imagine, hey, that's another man's daughter and, and a man's wife, and David doesn't care. He takes her, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant. Now what is he going to do? And so he winds up having Uriah, her husband, murdered on the front lines. And what? Now after he de- dies on the front lines, now he just takes Bathsheba as his wife. Man, problem solved. No one will ever know except God knows all of it. And God sends the Nathan, uh, the prophet Nathan to David and he says, great king, I need to share with you a, a, a story. And, and David's intrigued and he says, um, uh, sire, he says that there was a, a poor man who had only one baby lamb and a rich man who had uh, flocks of, of cattle and sheep. <clears throat> and the rich man ha- had a, a guest come. But rather than take from his own flock, he took the poor man's one and only baby lamb, slaughtered it, and fed it to his guests. He says, what should we do? And David was incensed. He says, you bring that man to me at, month, at once and we will kill that man. And Nathan says, you're the man. You're the man. And David, suddenly he sees then that, that his sin has been outed before everybody and before God. And he pens Psalm 51, verse 4. And David says this, he says this, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Isn't that crazy? It's like, David, no, you sinned against Eliab, against Uriah, against Bathsheba. You sinned against Israel by doing that as their king. I mean, you sinned against a lot of people, but David got it. And listen, it's not transactional. It's relational. He says, ultimately, I've sinned against you and you alone, O God. I've broken the heart of God in my wretchedness, in my sinfulness. Maybe this will help. I, I still, this is burned uh, into my soul. Is uh, I was a, probably about a, a 12-year-old kid, and my father, <clears throat> he had a, a stack uh, of papers. He wanted me to just do, it was just simple math, that I would check all these papers uh, for his company just to be sure that, that everything's right. And so I had the calculator and all that stuff. And it's something that probably should have taken me an hour, but, it, but I just, uh, I did like a couple of them. And then I said I was done and gave them back to my father. Like, like it should have taken an hour and it took me like 15 minutes. And my, you know, in my 12-year-old self, I didn't think to do that. And, and my dad came back and he says, son, he said, uh, did you really do all these papers? And and I had to tell him, no, dad, I I did some of them. And and at that moment, uh, I thought my dad was going to be furious and mad. He wasn't mad. He was hurt. I hurt my father. And man, there's something, man, that was very disorienting to me in that moment. And I swore on that day, man, I never want to hurt my father again. See, I, I, I would obey my dad out of fear, 
But now there's a greater way to, uh, that empowers obedience. Now I want to do it out of love because I, I don't want to hurt and break my father's heart. And that's the way it is with God. Man, uh, listen, you, you can o- obey the Lord and follow the commands out of a reverence and a fear for him. That's fine. But what's greater is when, when you do it out of love for him. And so uh, I love that Jesus, he's going to not allow Peter to experience uh, greasy grace. Hey, it's no big deal. It didn't do anything. But he has a face-to-face with him. And three times he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And, and how great is Jesus that, that, that Peter denied him three times. And we see that Jesus reinstates him three times. Man, and the foundation of their relationship is love for one another. And what happens? We read at the end, he says, okay, now, Peter, it's time for you to follow me. Let me close with this last illustration. Is uh, you know, it was December sixth, uh, twenty ten, Monday Night Football. It was Jesus's team, the New York Jets, against the evil empire, the New England Patriots, right? And and so uh, it, it was an epic beatdown. Uh, the New England beat the Jets forty five to three. It was called the Monday Night Massacre. And uh, Coach Rex Ryan, the next day, uh, he took uh, his team out, the New York Jets, onto their practice practice field, and he took that game ball from the Monday night massacre. He dug a hole in the middle of the practice field, took that ball, put it in the ground and and buried that thing over. And here's what I need you to know. Do you know, after that, six weeks later, man, the New York Jets crushed the New England Patriots uh, uh, in the playoffs to go to the AFC Conference Finals. Man, and, and I think that's a picture of what you and I need to do. Man, listen, we are, we are going to have maple donut days, man, where we've just made a mess of our life. But when we have those moments, man, we don't run from God. We, we run to God like that, like that football. Man, you repent. And then what do you do? Man, you bury that thing in the ground and cover it over. Man, and you get back to work following God, fulfilling God's mission and purpose for your life. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this time we can gather together. Lord, I thank you, Lord, uh, for your great and glorious grace. Lord, for your cross. Lord, that you know our sins, past, present, and, f- and future. And that your shed blood has fully and forever paid for all of them. Lord, I thank you just for grace. Lord, that you receive us when we repent. We return back to you, Lord. And I pray uh, this morning particularly for men and women. May they have a profound sense uh, of the deep uh, mission purpose and destiny you have for their life. I pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Listen, every nation, Jesus loves you. I think you're pretty great too. Uh, Our sermon's over with, but we're not quite finished. If I could remind you, you know, you can be faithful in your tithing and your giving. There's three ways that you can give digitally uh, to our church. You can go to our website, encnj.org, and just hit the giving icon. Um, or you can give via text. My family and I give this way. If you just text the letters ENCNJ to the number 77977, it's a very uh, convenient way to give. Or lastly, you can mail in your check or money order right here to our church offices at 101 Gibraltar Drive, right here in Morris. Plains, New Jersey, and may God richly bless you as you're faithful in your tithing and your giving. Every Nation, thank you so much. Uh, You're great, and you're going to have a great week in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Every Nation, New Jersey podcast. 
For more information on our church, or if you'd like to give a financial gift, just go to our website, emcnj.org.